Continue here with Joe Rogan. Probably gonna get We're sued. at one time theoretical particles, no. showing them to be true and their bit. calculations to be correct. We're at the past as well. They didn't know back then, but we know now. But if we looked in the past, they would have the same ideas. Exactly. They would look back at those poor monkey people with the bananas, mm. and they go, "Those fuckers." There's a similar similar argument yet. about. Let me just uh, skip through this. This, this adolescent period mm. of, of of enlightenment where they're religious fact. Like, everyone knows where it came from. And not only that, it was written hundreds of years oh, after the death of okay. Jesus. Okay, he's talking about the, so, the Old and New Testament. and a fucking M okay. Old Testament shit, and people get all right, here we go. Christian on his fucking deathbed. Like, that's when he became a Christian. Like, all these people Con that Constantine. are like, really into the New Testament. Mm. And, like, I'll talk about Old Testament shit, and people get mad at me on all Twitter. Right. They'll send me this fucking hate text. You understand, motherfucker, what the difference is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the New Testament is utter horse shit. It's created by a bishop and a fucking emperor. That's a fact. That's like r established religious fact. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Oh, gosh, there's a lot there. So he's ta he's talking about, uh, there's a couple issues at play here. Number one is, how do we think through, boy, there's actually a lot there. One is uh, the God of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Two is the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, mm -hmm. quotes, Three is canonicity. <laughs> There's just actually a lot yeah. there. Wow, just like so. Let's uh, let's go. All right, Scott, the God of the Old Testament. I mean, genocide. Right? He told Abraham, um, "I'm going to send you to Egypt for a while because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Mm -hmm. So you're going to hang out. Your people are going to hang out in Egypt for a while, 400 years. The iniquity of the Amorites will be complete, and some other people in that land. And then I'm going to send you in there, and I'm going to uh, order genocide. Mm -hmm. True or false? That happens in the Old Testament. Yeah, it happens. Okay. Yeah. Now, one of the ways that man, the phone, <sighs> the phones are ringing off the. Hook I know right people now, are. <laughs> That's actually uh, N.T. Wright calling. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he wants to chime in on this one. Um, one of the ways to try to wriggle out of that, which is what he's pointing at, is to go, well, 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 that was the Old Testament. Right. Right. The assumption being, you know, God was kind of like, like he evolved. And then he showed up nice in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. All right, go. Yeah. Well, that that critique is... Is right on. It's the same God from the Old Testament, and New Testament. There's no evolution of God. He tells us new things and um, gives us new covenants, those kind of things. But it's the same God back and forth. Um, I think um, my kids and I were talking about this the other day. Um, I think, um, especially for those of us that have kind of grown up in the Western world that have had a lot of Christian influence, we um, don't realize how much we make God have to answer to our sense of justice, right? We, we actually think that there is a sense of justice and that God must answer to that justice versus God himself being just and being the definition of those things. So 
there are a number of things in the Old Testament that blow my mind, to be honest with you. Some of the genocide things, and you know, there's arguments about it. There's arguments about why they wouldn't have blended garments, and arguments about why you can have llama, but you can't have pig, and why you can have uh, carp, but not catfish. And there's arguments about um, why some of those people would be wiped out because they were of mixed blood. And they were, you know, we've talked about some various theories out there, but we just don't know at the end of it. And then even to be honest with you, there are treatments. When you say we, I want to pause you. When you say we just don't know. We don't know. He doesn't give us the reasons behind some of these things. Like, like, so for instance, you can't, you can't, uh, in the old covenant, you can't blend your cottons with your polyesters. Okay. Right. People say, at least when I was growing up in my neck of the woods, they'd say that there was, a, they wouldn't even touch that one, but they'd talk the pig one, right? Well, there's trichinosis, and I was afraid people would get trichinosis because the pork wasn't cooked that well, and there's cleanliness issues. And you know what? I just don't, I mean, that's a nice thought, but I don't think that's that, a that, nice thought. that you can't, you know, he doesn't really prohibit bear and stuff. Maybe he does. I'll have to check out my Old Testament code, but he doesn't give us necessarily reasons. I get what you're saying. At some level, you could, I could come up with some theological argument for why no mixed, uh, uh, fabrics, right. but you're just saying he didn't give one. He, he just said, it. don't yeah. do this. Yeah. And when it comes to some of these places where he sends his people instead of his tornadoes, instead of his floods, instead of rocks to kill whole fleets of people, um, he doesn't necessarily... Holy crap. He doesn't really give the reasons why. Someone I was watching, there was a YouTube video came up the other day and someone asked this guy the question, you know, well, what about God? He, you know, killed hundreds of thousands in the Old Testament. And he goes, what about the billions he's killed since? Mm-hmm. True. Well, Old Testament, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. The, the well, the guys, the Christians' response there is that God is right back to where where we were before. God is in control of the universe, and so right. He gives life, He takes life. Yes, and He usually right? takes it away by agency, right? Through some natural agent, a heart attack or heart a attack, tornado, right? Or the Assyrians or, or human agents, right? Redeemed or non. There are also things, and just to, to be honest with you, there's there's one passage in, uh, shoot, I'm, I'm coming up with shout on it right now, but it talks about um, um, talks about a man and woman receiving different punishments for the same lie, and um, well, that's patriarchy. One 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 gets killed and one gets beat, and um, you know, to me, that is a really hard thing in what I hold to be justice in my heart, um, and definitely what I know my cult, Western culture believes to be justice. Oh. Isn't it though? Don't you do that? Isn't isn't that how you parent? Don't you? Do you always give your kids the? You know what? You know what? You get uh, three dollars today, and you get two. You know what? You're grounded for a week. You know what? You're grounded for two days. Like, yeah. don't you parent that way? And is that I, wrong? I don't always tip my hand, right? That's what you're saying. Well, I'm saying you don't always do the exact same thing, and it's not necessarily like if you uh, let's say uh, your son mm-hmm. sneaks a candy bar mm-hmm. when he shouldn't. And you say, you know what? Um, no tech for three days. And you thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Now yeah. your daughter does the same thing. Are mm. you beholden to say no tech for three days? Right. Or can you say no tech for five days? Right. Can you spank? Can you get a spanking? Like. Right. I'm saying you parent that way, right? And, yeah. And it seems intuitively right that that's okay. Right. I think the harder thing in this case, if you're saying, then your family will say, okay. I'm going to kill one of you. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're a boy in our household and you steal a candy bar, you are going to get no tech for three days. And okay. if you're a girl in our household and you steal a candy bar, um, you lose your phone for a month. Okay. You know, like a codified law given. And it was from God. It, was, it wasn't Moses making it up. Moses wasn't smoking the ganj on the base of the mountain and come up with the stuff. It's God given. Well, according to Joe Rogan, Moses was on DMT when he saw the burning bush. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the new plane. 
Um, so I, I'll say, like, I think that I still find in the Old Testament some very gracious things that push my heart's subtle, unbeknownst commitment to Western concepts and Western judgments and Western ethics that I still hold higher than God himself. And um, I think there's a number of things in the Old Testament that come from the very same God as the New Testament that particularly in the Old Testament push that for me, where I have to go before the Lord and say, God, I don't, I don't understand this. To me, in my eye, this looks unjust, unfair. But there's no textual variance here, right? This is a, this is a, a written thing that you said. I'm at to trust you that it's good. You have a reason. You are good. You are loving. You are just. I will trust that. I don't understand how that connects to this, but it does connect to this. So, so to, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this. So push back on me. So to me, uh, it kind of comes down to a creative right. He is holy, and nothing else is apart from His grace. So He has the right to create and destroy. Like, right? It was kind of the Potter and the clay. Does not the yeah. Potter have the right? Like, it's His. He made it. I don't have an inherent, like, I don't have self being. I don't, God is mm-hmm. of in and of himself. Like, he just is. He's the only one with actual rights. Like, for me to stand in front of God and say, I have the right to this and right to that right, is, right. is absurd. Like, I, yeah. what, what right? So, for God, I believe that's the argument in Romans 9 has not the potter the right over the clay, right? To make one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mine. I made it. And I think that we get that. Like, I, if I make a sandcastle, mm-hmm. it's mine. I get to destroy it. You don't. Mm-hmm. I have creative ownership over it. Not only that, the thing that I created actually does have sin. Mm-hmm. And therefore, just based on that, it's just, I, mean, I can wipe out the whole human race. The question is, why didn't he wipe out everyone? Why did he let one race survive? Like, what do you think of that line of reasoning? No, that's good. I think that the creative right piece, um, especially when you look at Romans nine, maybe, maybe we we'll take a di- maybe we'll take a different spot on this in the end with Romans nine. But I, I hope think, not. I think the creative- there's going to be fighting words. <laughs> We're going down. This is fighting words, isn't it? Uh, it's about to be. That's right. Not yet. If I hit your mic one more time, <laughs> fighting words. Um, I think that the creative right that God uses at the end of Romans nine creates distance between us and Him, where He goes, "I'm not going to give you an answer." Versus like, I can make it, I can do whatever I want, because I think he introduces the argument of true guilt in it. So he introduces, he introduces creative right and introduces true guilt in it. So I think, I think, I think the end of Romans 9 is a grand posing of God, where God stands and goes, know your spot, you're small, I'm large, I have creative right, and yet you're truly still guilty. I'm not unjust to punish so I think it is a, what I call a divine posing of God, where God stands and elevates himself and says, who are you? Oh, man. It's very similar to what he does to Job at the end of his, where he doesn't, he doesn't give an answer outside of who he is, the difference between who he is and who we are. All right, let's go there then. Um, we've talked about this. But he does, I feel like he does. Like, number one, he says, who are you? But mm-hmm. then he, it's like if your son came and said, well, why, why can't I drive tonight? And you said, who are you to ask me? But the fact that you just said that doesn't mean th- that the next thing you said is not an answer. Because then he does right. give an answer. Like, he literally right. gives reasons. He right. goes, does not the potter have the right over the... Isn't that an answer? Like, he's not just saying, I'm not giving you an answer. I feel like he does come out of the gates and say, first of all, how dare you? Mm-hmm. You don't even have the right to ask me. Yeah. And then he puts a pin in that and goes, let me humor you with a couple things. I have creative right. Isn't that... Is that a non... 
Is that not relevant? Is that not? No, a- I think it's incredibly relevant. I think that it is not the creative right is not the whole answer. Like the creative right is setting us in our place, right? Him as high and great and wonderful and creator, us as lesser and created. But and therefore he has a right to do something with that thing. Right, right. But I think he's also introduced that truly we are guilty of our right. of, of our own choices. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that we re- then they would be just to receive punishment for our things. Yeah. So we're saying I think we're saying the same thing. So all I'm saying is that applies then to the Canaanites or to the Amorites, whatever. Yeah. Like number one, yeah. your vessel you're guilty. Yes. Right. So yes. I think the, the the challenge is that we come at this with an with a an assumption of innocence. Mm-hmm. Oh, how dare the Amorites be wiped out? Mm-hmm. Instead of oh, how dare God spare the Jews? Mm-hmm. Or how God how dare God spare me? Yeah, right. It's what you were saying about this. I, I, yeah, that, and that's probably just in me, and I mean it's just a tweak to my world. I have a little harder time in the Old Testament with the um, the difference in codified laws than some of the genocide stuff. Because uh, I, I de- guess descriptive versus prescriptive stuff, or yeah, just because it's it's a law. Like this is okay. This is going to happen this way. You know, you can you can beat this one. You should kill this one. Versus this this group of people. In my mind, at least, like I, there's so much I don't know about those groups of people. I see God wiping out um, whole races of people over over the world at times for different reasons. And sure, maybe it's because some of them are just completely of lost all things and become utterly debased and he's he's protecting the rest of the world from their influence. I don't know. There's a bunch of things I just don't know. Yeah. That's a little harder for me than to see these codified statements of justice that God has given that that don't that don't coincide with what I think justice sure. is. So that's why for me that one's a little bit harder. I yeah. might, it might have to change in ten years. Well, Joe Rogan didn't. Joe Rogan didn't bring that one up. So I know. Sorry, a, but I, all it is 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 circling back around. When he's saying it's a different God, the Old Testament, New Testament, it is the same God that is the same between the Old and the New Testament. Um, and I think the I think one of the beauties of the God, of the Old Testament, is it really puts us in check. Like a his power, b his holiness, c his intolerance of sin, d his description and rights to have all rights to justice and all rights to power and us not. Um, I think that the Old Testament is a beautiful thing because it puts us in our place. Well, it has to be the backdrop to the, well, I'll say two things about the New Testament. Number one, just keep reading and get to where the Son of God is treading the wine press of the wrath of God. So <laughs> oh, I don't know if we would call that like yeah. regression back to sword, childhood or something. But Sword coming out of his mouth. I think what we see is that there's always grace present and mercy and God was bestowing it uh, mostly on the Jews, mm-hmm. and then the reason the New Testament seems so different—it's really not. It's just that grace going out to all the world, right? Like, okay, it's not that God chilled out; mm-hmm. He's the same God. Yep. And really, it's like, wow, this same God who has the right to destroy us all because of our sin mm-hmm. is dispensing grace upon grace upon all nations. What a what a shock! And that and that era will end, mm-hmm. and then there will be this. Harvesting, right, and, yeah. and revelation, and yeah, and so okay, so this idea we could sit there longer about the this God of the Old Testament and yeah. that stuff, and but yes, same God, um, different ways that He works throughout history, and so what Joe Rogan is responding to here is that sometimes he'll bring up the Old Testament, and then Christians will be like, yeah, but God of the New Testament, so they're not these Christians that are responding to him. I think are not 
they're taking a false, uh, they're making a false argument. So, oh yeah, but God's different now. It's true, not and which, which probably falls on the shoulders of on the fault, the largest of guys like you and me. No, you who are, who are preaching mostly. Oh, you. oh, just me. Yeah. Um, I think that the church has done a terrible job connecting Old Testament to New Testament and teaching New Testament believers how to use the Old Testament and not use it inappropriately. Not how just to go in and bob and just, I'm going to go and take this, I'm going to take that out of the Old Testament and leave it. You know, tip of my hand a little bit, I think the trification of the law, the civil, ceremonial, moral, breaking those into three, chucking two, keeping one through the work of Jesus. I think that complicates a lot of Christianity's understanding to actually connect Old Testament to New Testament and know what to do and not just throw away the Old Testament or to conveniently shop it for some flannel graph lessons and stuff like that. So, that being said, if you want to learn a lot more, and you should, about the relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament, we, uh, I, I'm, uh, part of the challenge is I'm not honestly going to go there at that deep a level on a Sunday morning. And right. like, Unless you're so, teaching Galatians and Romans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even then, it's, yeah, it gets into what am I trying to accomplish Sunday morning, man. This stuff is complicated, man. It took me years of a lot of constant study, not just a sermons sermons on Sundays to to lock in these big categories and right. come to. So, like, it's gonna take a lot of work. So, uh, I mean, there's resources available, and we yeah. can do that, but well, it, it's a lot. An easy one if you if you went to our website at Cross City. Um, we're going through Galatians right now. We've just kind of plowed our way through Galatians 1, 2, and 3. And you know, there's probably eight weeks in there that deal with a lot of that stuff. There you go, so in you a nutshell. I mean, I think it's really important. Summary being, yeah. we've always become God's covenant people by by salvation. Or by, we gain salvation by grace through faith. Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament was then given a temporary obedience code called the law, or as we call it, the Mosaic Code designed to expire when Christ rose from the dead and gave a spirit. And so now the spirit has come. We now have the new covenant and we, we follow the Lord in obedience by living in the new covenant, looking to the word of the spirit and the leading of the spirit, as opposed to the written code of obedience in Moses. So same salvation backwards, Old Testament, New Testament, salvation by grace through faith, a different set of obedience, not to go back and take the old, you don't want it, take the new. All right, I'm going to have to do another episode where I play that back through and just stop every two words and I'm tracking with you. That's a, no, I'm tracking with you, man. That's a but lot. I think, I think, Jonathan, I think we got to quit teaching our kids the Ten Commandments. I don't teach them any commandments. Because we teach kids, hey, go back, pick up, here's your obedience cues out of the Old Testament, and they're so used to it. So fast forward back to 2007, I'm leading a men's group in Corona, California, and I'm teaching through 1 Samuel, and I said something about, these are, these are really good, theologically pretty sharp church folks, men, and I'm saying the difference is that we are people of God's word. What God says, we believe. We take every bit, every bit of what he says. And one of the guys graciously, bravely said, hey, that's not really true. I said, what do you mean? They're like, we don't take everything God says. I'm like, tell me. And he goes, well, we don't stone our children from being disobedient. Well, speak for yourself. There we go, yeah. And, um, and all of a sudden, this murmur starts going through the crowd. Like, oh, oh. like, oh, there it is. There, see, it's yeah. true because we've been believing that. We've been noticing how we kind of bob in out of the Old Testament. And it, it kind of broke my heart. I go, okay, here, here it is. We have, we have not really helped people to know what to do with the Old Testament. So oh, we gosh. teach them to what like, am I doing? believe it and doubt it simultaneously. So I think that that does set us up poorly for Christians when they're asked about Old Testament and New Testament to say, yeah, well, that's the Old Testament. You know, to, to, to inappropriately break the two and throw away the one.
I'm sorry. How do we get here? No, that's all right. There's a lot there, man. Oh, New Testament, but wait, he he may, you know. Well, now he gets it. So, so what happens? Is it, all right. So people say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bringing up Old Testament stuff, Joe, but New Testament, which is a bad move. But then anyway, Joe's response is the New Testament was written by man, yeah. right? Yeah. So he gets into Constantine and he gets into the bishops and the canoniz- canonization of right. scripture, right? A which, really lousy version of that, right? Yeah. Like I don't know where he, yeah, and he states this fact. This is proven fact. But the idea, but but the general idea is right, which is that men were the means by which God established the canon and wrote scripture. Like I mean, the old, I think you could just say like the Old Testament. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. That's fine. That's fine. So you could apply it to both. Mm-hmm. So, but his argument is, dude, you're putting your trust in the New Testament, the Bible, whatever you could mm-hmm. extend it. Man wrote this. Right, mm-hmm. um, and then he can name names and name dates, and it's kind of irrelevant. The point is, and that's not necessarily untrue, right? We affirm that Paul. I mean, he literally says, "See how large letters I I've write with right? my own with hand, my own hand, right?" Yeah. And we know that we attribute the authorship of these books to men: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, different guys, um, Paul, and we know that there was. A period in history that lasted, I don't know exactly right now, a couple hundred years where where there wasn't a completed New Testament canon and there was processes of discussion mm-hmm. and prayer and to where we ended up with saying, okay, this is the Bible. It's not like an angel came down out of heaven mm-hmm. and said, here is your Bible. And here's there the was, leather on both sides, yes. That's right. There was a there was a process. Mm-hmm. And that's what Joe's pointing at and saying, therefore, you can't trust this. Mm-hmm. It was written by man, compiled by man. True, true. Just I was just saying how he did it. He did it very, very hasty, shoddy, and not true. That's true. So there's all kinds of details uh, It wasn't details in on there. his deadbed with right, one no, no, bishop. This no, is, no. It's way different. Right. And so call, I'm giving him the best and to version. And to call that fact... That's just that just bunk. Okay, but let me just wash that away and give him the best version of the argument, okay. which was men compiled, wrote the scriptures, mm-hmm. and came to a canon. Yes. Okay, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's good. That's a really good question. So I think I think when it comes to the issue of canonicity, uh, we so, define so that. The word, please. The word canon is um, is a word for measure, like how you measure exactly what the word of God is. The we would say the sixty six books, right, is canon in Roman Catholic theology. You have the sixty six books plus the, I believe it's thirteen now books of the Apocrypha plus you know the the statements of the fathers, the ex, ex cathedra statements of of the Pope, and the general consensus of the Church. That is all canon. So for us, we have the sixty six books. Um, I think that. Uh, Trying to not make this three hours. I think number one, Old Testament, very easy. We we look at what Jesus affirmed as a canon. Jesus affirmed the old Old Testament canon. He's quoting out of the Septuagint most often. Which, oh, but you're quoting Jesus from the New Testament, which was written by man. That's right. So Old Testament. No, that's I'm serious though. What's that? What's that? You're saying to establish the Old Testament canon, I'm just going to look to Jesus. But the mm-hmm. problem is that Jesus. You're assuming New Testament canon. I'm messing with you here, but yeah, yeah. you know, right? That's the, you're assuming New Testament canon mm-hmm. if you're quoting Jesus. Yeah. So it's like a circular thing there. Like, yeah, Jesus right. said that. So you claim, assuming the Bible, the New right. Testament is reliable. Right. Assuming what you have, 200 years, 100 years at times off of Christ was was legit. 
And I would say that that's exactly what Christ said he would do, right? He would give his word, and when he when we hear his word, we know it's true. For us to hear his word and for us not to accept it is for us to face judgment. Was it John 12, 48, right? Um, he who hears my word does not receive it. Uh, will be judged by my word, and that's not judged as an error, that's judged as a crime. So he's always been telling us that's how he does it. He speaks, we hear, we read his word, and it is self-attesting. He doesn't say, hey, make sure, I'm, I'm, I'm going to attest to my word by sources greater than my word, because there is no source greater than his word. Yeah, so again, this gets back to epistemology. Uh, Peter says, no prophecy was ever written by man. Now, Peter knows that he literally says he literally has read the Old Testament and knows that men wrote that stuff, mm-hmm. but he says no prophecy was ever written by men, mm-hmm. but men carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yep. I forget how he finishes it, but basically spoke from God. Now, again, you may not believe that, but that's that's part. If you say the Bible was written by men, it does no. It's no assault to Christianity because that's part of Christianity. Is that God ordained that? That God spoke to people, that God inspired them, and He controlled and protected revelation. Right. Now, now again, this. This enormous codification of epistemology, this enormous codification of canonicity. He actually describes how, how it comes from, how you get to it, versus secularism, where you have none of that. Right? You're just kind of making it up off of rules that we all kind of have consensus on. But we actually have these rules. They come from our known, proclaimed faith in Christ. Well, here's something to keep in mind. At the end of the day, this nobody believes the Bible's true who doesn't believe in Jesus. It's it, it comes down to what's first. First things first. First things first, look at the cross. Do you believe that's the revelation of God? Is that the, the God of love? Did he come? Has he appeared? Hmm. Has the grace of God appeared? Okay, if that's... Not true, then forget everything. Mm-hmm. If it is true, did he appear to be known? Seems logical. Mm-hmm. And if so, would he ordain a way to be known and preserve that? Mm-hmm. Or would he be like, oh, crap. And went through the time I'm gonna hide to that come under a bush. to incarnate... And then these guys screwed it all up. I'm going to put that light on that, put that city on a hill, and then I'm going to cover it with a mudslide. Right. So it really comes down. That is, it is, it is one of the axioms, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, you either you read the. I've read apocryphal books. We had to read them in seminary. You know, you read the Acts of the, the Acts of Peter mm-hmm. and Gospel of Thomas and things right. like that. And they just read different. They read really differently. Yeah. They just you go. This is not the same. It's like if I wrote a book called Harry Potter. You know, and then I just gave it right. to you, and, and then you read it. You like, there's a different voice there. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's yeah. that's not yep. J.K. Rowling. Like, that's somebody else. There's this common voice, this mood, this person right behind the text that is yeah. communicating what's important, a certain emphasis, a certain balance, a shocking, you know, a shock to our uh, assumptions. Uh, there's this person there that you yeah. start to recognize is. In Paul, in Peter, in Judas, in uh, Isaiah, in Genesis, you're like, and that's the consistent thing that you recognize. You recognize the sheep hear my voice, right? right. And you recognize the Which voice. Which is exactly Jesus. how Jesus refers to the Old Testament, right. right? Written by men, but this is the word of God. So it's 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 uh, completely consistent with how Jesus viewed the Old Testament. 
So I think I think when things that like hurts us so badly, I want to answer people's questions. If they're honest questions, I want to do my best to answer them, tell them where I don't have answers. But I think in the world of apologetics and the world in the world of apologetics, we often feel like we are going to keep, 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 keep chasing to answer their questions versus going the opposite side of the equation, which is say, okay, God, how how, does a person does does a person come to you if I keep answering all the possible questions, or how do you save a person? And he says, "All right, well, I save them by bringing my gospel to them, right? Bringing my word to them." So, um, if I'm if I'm hanging out with someone like Joe Rogan or one of my friends that thinks like that, I want to be able to ask a lot of questions. But at some point in time, if God will allow me, and I'm praying for the Spirit's help in the middle of this, I want to be able to proactively speak of Christ. Yeah, right, because whether or not I can tell them that, hey, I'm going to speak of Christ and here's the reasons you should listen to me. I don't actually need to tell them here's the reasons you need to listen to me. If they will allow me to speak of Christ, it has its own weight. Right? Yes. If I can speak the word of God. So um, so I'm often, I want to, I want to, you know, so I think when these things happen here, really good to think through answers to the questions because a lot of times it's very rather simple answers to those questions. But at the bottom of it, conversationally with people, I still want to be able to speak of Christ because if they're going to come alive, they're going to come alive because God has brought them the knowledge of the gospel, either through my mouth or someone else's mouth that their mom and their, or tied the leg of a pigeon or something like that. They have to have the gospel. And when they hear the gospel, there is a design in the human soul that matches up with the design of the word of God that testifies to us at some level, ever so far deep down in the hardness of our heart, if we are unregenerate and not coming to him, or explosively powerful if God is doing that work of illumination or heart where, boom, it is undeniable, this is this is true. And it's being proven to me in a way that doesn't coincide with my Western epistemology, nor of my supernatural, like um, Jewish epistemology, so we say in that passage, but something deeper. I am, I am most assuredly knowing that, which there are some other religions of the world that say something similar happens. The difference is, according to God, it doesn't happen that way, right? God speaks with supernatural power. There's weight to it. There's glory to it. Dents the soul. Yes. And I just, let me um, share a little bit about what I hope to be uh, fruitful in this conversation for our listeners, assuming the majority of you are Christians, is not to equip you with the ammo. I mean, if it's helpful and you, there's some, like Scott is saying, if, if God provides those conversations, that's great. Uh, but really, I would I I would venture to guess that a lot of people in the church don't know how to answer this stuff. Right. They're like, "Oh, crap. It what what? It was put together by like, okay, mm-hmm. okay. I want to help you think and so like for for example, I did not come to Christ through logic, mm-hmm. right? But it was important for me to understand and have a holistic worldview. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And and so I came to Jesus through a work of the spirit affections, the heart, all that, you know, train wreck type stuff. Um, and then post-Christ learned a lot about epistemology, philosophy, apologetics, reading yeah. Francis Schaeffer, trilogy. Yeah. It was just huge. And, and the benefit of that actually hasn't been a, uh, even though I could argue a lot of people into a corner, I haven't seen a lot of fruit from it. Um, what the benefit for me has been grounding. Like, oh, that when I hear stuff like that, I'm not like, oh, I haven't thought of that. Yeah. Oh, crap. Panic. No one's ever thought of that, Joe yeah. Rogan. No one's ever brought that up before. Like, right. 
No, some people have. And for me, it has proven um, stabilizing. Like, oh. Yeah. You know, I, I've thought of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've totally. read Augustine. We've read Aquinas. We've read Edwards. Like, these things have been brought up. They've been dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not assailed by you. So hopefully that's part of the motivation is to give you yeah. a window into kind of how, how to process some of that. Uh, not necessarily to equip you with weapons to go out into the world and right and which is what you're saying that it's almost like what's the it's not going to win well, the world anyway. Well, I see you know to your point, I, I see I see two things. One is stability in our souls, and number two is our ability to testify of Christ. And there's times where I've listened to that. I still happens. I'll listen to someone. They say something new in a new way, and I don't have a a fast answer or soft my game and. It, 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 creates wakes in my heart a little bit of fear you know because of arguments or competition but there's a different side of it where i'm thinking through like my friends even when my heart is stable my friends that need christ so badly um who are argumentative or sharp thinkers and have good questions um i want to remember to walk with the spirit in those times and to i mean i think jesus is crazy man how you like watch him when he's answering questions that are given to him and um sometimes just doesn't even answer a question asked of him and he just goes in his own direction other times he's very very slow and patient with person and uh to walk in spirit but i think to walk in spirit but with hopes that god will redeem that person and turn that person into a disciple making discipler but he's going to do that through the gospel and i'd love to be a part of that you know so like looking for my chance not only to answer their questions, but I would look for my chance to be able to speak of like to to Joe Rogan. What do you what do you think? Like if, if I have friendship with him, like you're really antichrist. What what do you, antichrist? Oh. You just call Joe Rogan the antichrist? That's true. I didn't mean to do that. Well, anyone uh, who denies that the Son of God came is, in the flesh is, is antichrist. antichrist. Yeah, so there. You got. But a lot of times, I just want to ask them. I'll say, hey, just. If I can back him off, just go. What do you th- what do you think the message of Jesus was written in the scriptures? Like whether or not it's true or not, what do you think it is? Because I want to bring up the topic, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I has been a chance for me to take. Let's every- vote Republican. <laughs> of course, isn't it? Uh, well, actually, where I was raised, it was vote Republican or or re- vote anti CFR is kind of an Illuminati thing. What is CFR? Council of Foreign Relations. I don't know what the heck it was. It was just, it's that kind of Illuminati American thing. I don't know. Well, I don't want to offend the Republicans let's, let's out there. There's a that. there's a lot of them. Um, you got more in you? Sure. Let's see what Joe has to say. Like, everyone knows where it came from. And not only that, it was written hundreds of years after the death of Jesus. So what are you talking about? Because if you're... Some of them were written. But again, it just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I am a supernaturalist person. I believe in God, and I believe he loves us and sent his son Jesus, and he's protecting his Bible. So you could say, it was written 5,000 years later. Like It's an irrelevant point to Christianity. Now, to someone who already disbelieves, here's kind of where it comes to. If you already disbelieve Christianity, it's an irrelevant point because you already disbelieve. To someone who believes and and gets what, what this all is, like... It's an irrelevant point. 5,000 years, five minutes. It was written five minutes after the life of Christ. Like, so? Because if it was human, that would matter a lot. Well, because, well, here's the the assumption. Are you saying, Joe Rogan, that five minutes after an accident, people's memories are reliable? Yeah. So what's the point? He would even say, I've heard him on other shows talk about the human memory is faulty and you have an accident and you take everyone's, hey, what happened? How many shots were fired at the Kennedy assassination? Some right. people say two, some people say four. What well, was immediately after. Yeah. So are you, so the point is, 
it's an irrelevant the, the amount of distance of time between the event and the and the witnessing to it is irrelevant to its veracity because at the bottom of it at the bottom of it the claim of, of scripture the claim of Christ is that he is inspiring his through his spirit through the pens of men and women since he is the bottom of it he's not limited by a fuzzy memory or time oh and by the way but if you're actually doing your your canonicity at home it wasn't within 200 years it's within like 70 years max that all the things were written so just for yeah 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 kicks you're talking about the old stuff you got to go deep what go to the dead sea scrolls go always go, bring go up the dead fucking, sea scrolls go to the the most ridiculous aspects of that and tell me if you basing your life on that because that's even more preposterous. Go. They found them in clay pots in Qumran, yeah. written on animal skins. These people thought the- Okay, Scott, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, made by- Man, the, this guy, he's read some stuff. Yeah. He's, <laughs> a, he's, a, he's a sharp dude. You know, he's, he finds a lot of stuff. Um, so written by the Essenes, which were a, a sect of people in Israel who wrote down a lot of the scriptures, um, were preserving them in caves in the desert. They were found years- in, I, I like the forties or fifties. I want to say yeah, forties or fifties. So big nineteen forties or fifties. Yeah, yeah. So two thousand so, years later. Right. So the big thing was yes. it would it had preserved pre time of Christ copies of Isaiah and some of the Old Testament writings that a lot of your anti supernatural Christianity and the scholarly world had said, hey, those things were those those copies of Isaiah you have are too, are they're too they cater too much to the death of Christ right they're too predictive of Christ they were obviously therefore not real they're throwaway junk they are Deutero Isaiah and then that little shepherd kid chucked a rock up in that thing and heard a, some crack and go up there and they find these copies of Isaiah That's so crazy and the Old Testament that that long predate Christ and show that those prophecies were there long before Jesus yeah and a lot of consistency between yeah. Uh, those Dead Sea Scrolls and yeah. and uh, what we currently have. So, all right. So this, let's see, Dead Sea. But Scrolls. they were written on animal skins. I mean, this guy's ranting. That's it's like you keep up and you're just like, whoa, 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 Dead Sea Scrolls and and Constantine and like, gosh. Well, the name of this um, <laughs> this video is Joe Rogan destroys re mm -hmm. religious fundamentalism and epic rant. <laughs> Has there ever been an epic rant? That's right. He's, he's got he's got Christianity corner. He's just throwing every knee and forehead, but he's got. <laughs> He's pulling out a rubber chicken and wailing on us. <laughs> the world was flat and the sun was 17 miles away. And we're gonna, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. They whoa. did. They really did. And we're going to... Hey, gonna... uh, one day, just because... You might be thinking, hey, you're picking on Joe Rogan. He's not... I'll bring on... I'll, I'll, we'll do this with someone else. Someone who's a uh, more well-thought-out scholar and, and we can do this. But again, this is the popular stuff. This is the stuff that... I'm not pretending to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a scholar here. This is the street... This is a street fight. Street fighting words. All right, let's see, Joe, what you got. This is how we're going to live our lives? Mm. This is it. This is all the facts we need. Fuck the Large Hadron Collider. Fuck CERN. You know, fuck uh, Stephen Hawking's. Fuck quantum physics. Fuck Neil deGrasse Tyson. Fuck. Okay, wow. Um, why don't you tell us how you really feel? So, I think he needs a new verb. There are some <laughs> other verbs out there. That was a verb, yeah. That is yeah, a verb. That was all verbal. Um, so, what he's... Okay, so again, like I don't know. Who, I guess there's people out there like this. I don't. So it's just again this dichotomy between science and the Bible. Like, hey, this is all we need: the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Old Testament. We don't need the Hadron Collider and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. I listen to Star Talk all the time. It's brilliant. He talks about physics. Like, there's this what you were saying before. Like, we love science. It's yeah. it's created by God. It illuminates his illuminates his beauty. Like, there's this some. I guess there's some people out there. Like, you know, it's either science or the Bible. Um, I don't. I don't. 
I don't think that way. Right. It's great. I love it. Let's right. listen to. I listen to Sam Harris podcast. He's a neuroscientist. You know, you got to listen with uh, right with some discernment. Um, but yeah, I don't really get what he's getting after there. Well, I guess do you know people like that. They're just like we don't need science. They're anti-science because there's kind of this anti-science. It's either Christianity or science. Kind of can be like a a mood out there in in the interwebs or social media. Like yeah, I think I think. I've met maybe a few. Maybe when it comes down to specific things, like right, like yeah. they say the Earth is four and a half billion years old. Some people think it's six thousand years old, and therefore it's Bible versus science. Right. Yeah. But I don't know anyone says we don't need anything but the Bible. I don't need an iPhone. I don't need. You know, I mean, science is my car runs on science. Like anyway, right. whatever. That's not. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot there. Um, we got a couple more minutes here. I probably will split this episode into two. Uh, let's see. Those dudes with their telescopes. No, but we're gonna base it on leather skins and, and 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 charcoal ink. Right. Like really? That's that's the that's the conversation we're having when we're talking about ideological religions. Yeah, that was a thing of beauty, by the way. Well, thanks. That was a thing of beauty. What's what it is? What was? I mean, and and people think, well, you're an atheist, you're an asshole, you're. What do you believe in? I had a guy yell at me at a comedy club once because I did this bit about Scientology. I did this bit about Scientology about watching a Scientology documentary with my mom, who made me go to Catholic school, and how my mom thinks Scientology is relig- r- ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Exactly. And this guy is like, yo, what do you believe in? Well, what do you believe in? Like, what, do I have to believe in something? Right. Do I have to believe? I believe in everything that's been proven. I believe that this is made out of wood. And I, I, it, when I'm proven wrong... Right. You when, change your mind. Yeah, that's well, back to the jujitsu thing again. Yeah. But when you also think about it, what an unbelievable arrogance to think that you know the will of the creator oh, here we of the go. universe. Okay, here we go. You know what he wants you to do. You know where he wants you to put your genitals. I mean, like you said... In philosophy, it's called the problem of induction or looking at the past, the past, past, resembling the past. And we will look back. There's absolutely no question in my mind that you're correct. And we will say, wow, you believe this. This was how could we possibly have believed this? But what's interesting to me is we know that that will happen. Like we know that that will happen. And it's an opportunity. Okay. He's, he's nearly prophetic because it will happen someday. He will look back and say, why did we ever think this? Why? Mm. Did, why? You know, what made us ever think and have confidence? What an unbelievable arrogance we had! He's right. That's like prophecy coming out of his mouth. It's just to, he did not say it of his own accord, man. So the idea of that it's it's I've heard that a lot. It's arrogant to claim that you know the will of God. Like, uh, uh well, maybe I'll just lead on this one. Is <laughs> which makes it arrogant to say that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, if it's just arrogant to say you know something, they're claiming to know something. So, right. but here's the deal, like. It could be twisted that way, and maybe people behave that way, and I'm sure I do. But within the system, if I – okay, today we were going to Magic Mountain, Mm. right, with the kids. Just for clarity, not the Magic Mountain of California. That's an amazing place. We were going to Magic Mountain, Columbus, Ohio, which is – It's like like a glorified Dave & Buster's. Like Chuck E. Cheese that lost their pizza. Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) No, they had pizza. They did? Yeah, yeah. Are they lost their animatronics? The animatronics, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Okay, so we were going there, and I didn't tell the kids. I said, we're going somewhere. It's a surprise. And they kept wanting me to tell, where are we going, where are we going? I said, I'm not telling you. And um, if I had told one of them, hey, we're going to Magic Mountain, would there have been any reason for boasting? For one of them to suddenly get haughty. Let's say I told Chicken, Mm -hmm. we're going to Magic Mountain. And now she knew. What's the base 
for boasting there. Well, she didn't know. If, she didn't discover it. If God gave her a messenger from Satan and an Uzi eye, then I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> but you know, like maybe if she had connived, okay. I got in Poppy's phone. I went through his texts, mm-hmm. or I snuck. You know, whatever. I devised this thing and discovered it. Then she could go see. I'm smarter than the mm-hmm. rest of you. But that's not the situation. The first. situation is right. I pulled her aside and just told her something. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to Magic Mountain. If she were to go to the other kids and boast, she boasted that she has ears. Like, what's the boast? Like, everyone has ear. What did what sets you apart? Yeah, nothing sets you apart. You didn't do anything. As a recipient, you were a recipient, right? So, again, in Christianity, Paul says, "What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, then why do you boast? Because if you had not received, if you had not received it, so." Yeah. When you the point there is when you you don't brag over a Christmas present it was a gift yeah. right you pride is attributing to you to you the uh, attributing to yourself the source of the gift right yep. so if you can dance or you can preach or you can argue then you go oh I did this mm-hmm. and God says no you didn't do this oh I discovered the truth of Christ <laughs> no yeah. you didn't you were dead in your trespasses following yeah. the prince of the power of the air but God being rich in mercy. Made you alive together yeah. with him, right? He did that. There's no reason to boast. Only reason to right. give thanks. That's what you do at Christmas. You give right. thanks for presents. You don't boast. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, you I know mean, that. The, the ability to know is grace. The ability to be wor- worthy of something is God's grace. It's all of God's grace so that no man boasts. And if you believe grace, it makes you gracious, not arrogant. To your point, like we don't have we don't have real Christians walking around going, well, well, I know what the truth is, and, and these bold, angry statements. Like it's not, it's not. Well, well, they may, but they're out of step with the gospel. Right, right, they're right. Not, they're not in that moment actually believing in grace. They're they're out of step in their thinking. Yeah, I don't. And you know, to his point about you know what to do with your genitals. Like, no, my actual confession is I don't. I spent however many years not knowing what to do, mm-hmm. thinking I knew what to do with my life, my money, my words, my genitals, everything. Yeah. And then God came and said, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. How, what boast is there in that? You know, like, um, now again, I can see how that can be twisted and be like, we're the chosen ones, we're the people of God, aren't we special? If you, But it's a, it's a, that's a uh, big distortion of the gospel and just logic. It just doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see. I don't know. There's only a couple minutes left. They seem to have lost their momentum. We could... We could go on. Um, Scott, do you have any, I don't know, final thoughts or encouragements on this? No, I think I think, um, I think it's good for us to think in the two categories of uh, what you're saying. When you run across these things conversationally or entertainment that cause your soul to quake, I think it's good to not just blow over it. To think about it, to ask questions. Go ask questions. Go to your go to your pastors. Go to your leaders. Ask questions. How do you deal with this? How do we think about that? I think I think it's really good to understand the world and to address their questions where their questions may be real. I think I, I think um, I have two categories. A. Why do I believe what I believe? I remember being in high school and really start the process of why do I believe what I believe. Um, I was my 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 Christian Baptist school was next door to a Mormon temple, and across the street from a from a junior college. And I remember just going thinking like, why do I believe what I believe and not believe what those guys do on the other side of that cinder block wall or across the street? And um, 
began this process really praying and thinking, I think I knew the Lord at this time, but really starting to think with my adult mind and coming, where do I start? Where do I start? That was just a question I had as a high school, where can I start? And I thought to myself, I think by God's grace, let me start just at Christ. No, you came up with it. Let me bo- one second. Let me boast about that. Um, yeah. yeah. No, so I I, I start I just started reading Jesus. I read what he's saying and and looking at. I remember in high school thinking. Your advice is to read the scriptures. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, what what about some Tim Keller? Oh, he's pretty good. Some too. Francis Schaeffer. Yes. Some Chan too. Some Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, I think um, I think these days I think I think Francis Schaeffer. I think Tim Keller, John Piper, you know, some of these guys are just so helpful in so much of the stuff. And um, Ravi Zacharias obviously just has an amazing apologetic ministry and addressing those issues. But I think, I think A, knowing what, why you believe what you believe and what are those rules of why? Are, are those a Western secular set of rules of why or are those a biblical set of rules of why? So I think being able to push yourself, like, what is my epistemology and where did I get that from? Oh. So I think that that's a very honest, hard question. Because I'm thinking until you ask yourself that, you will work off the Western epistemology if you are probably listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And those guys, you're, you're, you know, if you listen to Keller or anyone else, you need to be able to know are they in accord with what Christ is saying. So let me – maybe I'll finish this with – a. A quick summary of what I believe to be biblical Christian. Wait, yeah. can I just want to say one thing? Yeah, yeah. So I think, A, ask yourself, what is my epistemology? All right. And I think wrestling with that, you're on a heart. And then number two, as you develop a biblical worldview and you listen to Christ through his spirit written in the word of how he will describe how all people think and he will describe how any of them come to know him, his tool of choice is that he by his spirit stirs on the heart anyone who will ever know him he stirs by his spirit in the heart of an unbeliever and he brings them most often through another spirit led person the spirit spirit generated gospel right they, they read this and he stirs that into belief right he changes their heart through it and because of that I want to be able to, I believe that God is the greatest evangelist. I want to be able to speak the gospel to people. I'm praying actively for opportunities to venture down, maybe say the whole gospel, maybe parts of, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever God will let me do. I want to be able to speak of that because if they are to be saved, they'll be saved through the spoken gospel. And there isn't anybody who is too smart for that, too bold for that, too stubborn for that. So, hey, know yourself in your mm. own epistemology. And number two, don't underestimate the great evangelist and his great evangelistic tool of the gospel. So let's do two things. Let me give a brief rundown of epistemology, okay. and then you give us the gospel. Because yeah. you keep talking about Good, it. Right. Maybe you should actually do it, let's, Scott. I should. I'll think and it's like an hour and 40 minutes of talking freaking human wisdom. Wow, yeah. Okay, how do we know? There's basically three categories. Man can know of his own strength, and that's kind of modernism. Science. Hey, if we observe, we apply our rational observational faculties, we can know things. Well, that was torn to shreds by the postmodernists and the skeptics who say, who rightly point out the limitations of man. You know, like just point out all the errors of man, and even just you can theorize, how do you know you're even here? Right? That's the, how do you know you're not a, in the matrix, how do you know you're not a a, a brain in a vat? How do, you don't know anything. Yeah. You know, you're so biased. You're so um, 
given over to your own limitations and proclivities, proclivities and desires, and you can't know. So either man can know of his own strength, his own abilities, or because of the limit of his abilities, he can't know. Those are big, these are the things that have helped me in, in reading Schaefer. Mm-hmm. If you read his trilogy, the God who is there, he is there and he is not silent, and uh, escape from reason. And so those are kind of the options. You either can know or you can't, right? And I think if you come face-to-face with the truth about our limitations, you go, well, skepticism and postmodernism kind of makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We actually are very limited. Yeah. Well, then into that world steps Jesus, who says, I, th- I would say affirms uh, a lot postmodernism to an extent. You're right. You can't know. You are so limited, so sinful, so biased. You have so many of your desires clouding your judgment, sinful, and even the sin, not just limited, by your, you're not, you're finite. Add to that, you're sinful. Like, how could you know? You couldn't know on your own. Um, but God brings revelation, and that's the basis of Reformed biblical Christian epistemology. As God tells us, mm-hmm. how do you know? God told me. Which sounds crazy, but it breaks through, and that's what we see when He sits with the disciples and He says, "Who do you say that I am?" You know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And he said, bless are you. So there's a blessing on you, Simon Barjona, Peter. Why? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It can't. But my Father who's in heaven, that's the Reformed epistemology. That's what. That's how we know. There is no other way to know. So it's either that or nothing. You're right. The postmodernists are right. Just We don't know anything and just it's, it's chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Or some, there's a God who's there and he is not silent, as Francis Schaeffer says, right? Yeah. And he speaks to us and he says... I found you, right? You are mine, right? Um, I am God. I am King, and that's the beginning. That's the beginning. It's the cross, right? We preach Christ crucified, and everything works out from from there. That's the center. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You are love manifest in the flesh, right? You are. Yep. You've dwelt among us. You have appeared. The grace of God has appeared. That's the center. I am sinful. You are. Well, now I'm getting into gospel, so I'll let, I'll let you take that. But that's the. That's the basis of our epistemology, and that's what—that's not just there with with Jesus and Peter, but it's what Paul prays in Ephesians, writing to Christians, says, "I pray, oh gosh, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened." Yep. Right? Why? Yep. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to know anything. So I pray that the Father of Heaven, and He prays it again in Ephesians three, may give you strength in the inner man to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and depth. That's the only way you're going to know anything. Second Corinthians three eighteen. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the same image, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So God, it's from the Lord, through the Spirit, giving us continued revelation. That's mm-hmm. that's how you know. So God told me. That's the Reformed epistemology mm-hmm. to some extent, yeah. right? And yeah. it's... it's um, Sounds foolish. It does sound foolish. Oh, that's right. He said it would. Yeah. Yep. So, so there's that. There's a, a brief kind of summary of a reformed epistemology, biblical, what I would say is biblical epistemology. But you said, um, you know, you would look for an opportunity to speak the gospel. Yeah. What, how would you, what is that? I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go at it. Where are you, what do you want to say? All right. So I think, I think that one of the things I like to do in honor of what we're saying here is when I'm telling the gospel to people, and I do this with anyone who visits our church for any period of time and as much as I can do with people, um, 
I want to be kind of careful about the things I share. And one of the things I share in the beginning, so when I start with God and who He is, that He makes everything. I don't go into how He made it, right? But He made everything. What His passion is, His passion is His glory because it deserves all the passion in the world. It deserves for us to be looking and beholding this beauty. But that God who made everything could communicate with us any way He wanted. He chose to do that by inspiring His Word and for His people to bring that Word out. So that's His divine right, as we said earlier, to be able to communicate authoritatively, most assuredly, through the written Word, right? So He, he that's who God is. He makes it, speaks through His Word. He creates mankind. We're different than all of creation. We're designed to be the ones who bring dominion over it, rule it. But instead of being, being God-centered people like that, we all became self-centered, so... Death, enemies, aliens, the wrath of God abides on us, spiritually naked, destitute, without hope, without God, children of Satan, you know, the list goes on and on. We're, we're just toast. The fallen position is just desolation. But then God steps in and brings hope, um, proposes something, an offer, which is that he would, though we were made to be God-centered, we became self-centered, he would make us God-centered again. Um, be our authority, but even beyond that, be the love of our life where we would love him more than anything, the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God. Of course, it goes on forever in heaven, but that's the side benefit. The main benefit is God himself. That's This is the new proposed life. And if a person wants that, then there's the great question, the Old Testament question, well, how are you going to get that, right? Christ comes, always being God, becomes a man, lives, dies, rises again, does everything needed to reconcile us, to change us from those self-centered people into the God-centered people, forever loved um, as God's children. So if, if when people know that and they admit their fallenness and they want this new life that he's talking about and they admit the only way you can get the new life is through the work of Jesus, that's called salvation by faith. We put our faith in him. He gives us this amazing act of baptism to really help us as people know what that means to be wholeheartedly identified and following him. Leaves us on this planet with his spirit inside of us now and leaves us at forever as worshipers of his in his as part of his spiritual family where he's forever our father and we're forever brothers and sisters. And he lets us walk this planet for, yea, verily, maybe 40 years or two minutes to yea, bring verily. this message to the world. But we will always be worshipers and we will always be his family. But we're on this planet here to bring this message of Christ on his own authority to this world. Um, two things. Number one, I've never heard that before. And I think I just got saved. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, if you if, the, if if anyone want to check it out, we have a website which is the Gospel and Six. Dude, don't be plugging your church on my church's stuff. No, no, man. no. This is I already plugged the church at the beginning. This is the Gospel and Six dot org. Which oh, is you our, got your own website for that? It's our Gospel website. Oh, you blowing up Gospel and Six. Yeah. Uh, so that number one, I got saved, so I don't have to get fired. <laughs> Number two, yay, verily? Yay, verily. I was just landing. I mean, the, you were always. The, I was landing the plane, man. I just felt like going British for a second. Well, you're always becoming all things to all people. Mm. You're about that contextualization. That's right. Yay, ver, uh, yay <laughs> a vast ye matey <laughs> to all of you out there. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is good news. Uh, man, praise God. And I was praying as you were talking. God, just help me to. Just keep believing that afresh, and and it's uh, you know, you hear it so many times, yeah, yeah, that's crazy, yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, we split this episode into two. It'll be good. Um, thank you, Scott. Thanks, Redeemer peeps. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. As always, open to uh, 
suggestions for topic ideas or rants. If you have video rants you want us to respond to, we'll do that too. So, All right, go in peace. No need to brag if Jesus has revealed his truth to you. Just give thanks. All right? All right. See you later.